0: Today's reading comes from 1 Samuel, chapter 2, verses 12 to 26. Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests with the people that whenever anyone offered sacrifice, a sacrifice, and while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would plunge it, into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up this is how they treated all the israelites who came to shiloh but even before the fat was burned and the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing give the priest some meat to roast he won't accept boiled meat from you but only raw If the man said to him, let the fat be burned up first and then take whatever you want, the servant would then answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him, when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice eli would bless Elkanah and his wife saying may the lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the lord then they would go home and the lord was gracious to hannah she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters meanwhile the boy samuel grew up in the presence of the lord now eli who was very old heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the woman who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons however did not listen to their father's rebuke for it was the Lord's will to put them to death and the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men this is God's word Thanks.
1: Good morning Ken is This is our third uh, week into 1 Samuel and we're looking uh yeah just what is going on in Israel and their relationship with God and how they're treating God and this morning we see another aspect of what is going on also another aspect of God's character and how he deals with that I'm going to pray now that God will help us to understand this this event and what what was happening and so we can actually learn from it so God speaks to us even in today's world let's pray Dear Father, we do thank you that you are a loving and gracious God, and as we've prayed earlier, we thank you that you meet with us, that you speak to us. But Lord, please, this morning, help us to have ears that listen, soft hearts that take it in, and allow us to draw near to you as you draw near to us. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. It is a good time of year, if you like reality TV, and it just so happens, Kim and I, I like reality TV Uh, so every night of the week there's always something on a few of the highlights of things Uh, the block is on who doesn't like the block right it's almost like a documentary on how to renovate your house and how to style your house it's good that you can get into it and get a few tips Um, there's the bachelor well bachelor's a bit different for reality TV we know it's fake Uh, and it's not just their personalities that are fake either but there's a lot of fakeness going on there um, but they 're survivor now this is you know, it's, it's a documentary of how to survive in the bush. A group of people dumped in a remote area, and they basically vote each other off to see who survives. Um, my tip is Maddie Rogers, by the way, but we 'll see how that pans out. Uh, but we like it because you can kind of get involved in the characters, you have a bit of a laugh because you can actually see yourself in some of these characters and see, you know, some people are rat bags, but you can see yourself in there and it's quite amusing. We get drawn in. Uh, one thing happened this week though, Kim and I were sitting on the lounge watching The Block this week and uh, I think it was our date night and I thought I'd do something special for Kim so we are watching The Block one night and... <laughs> Kim says uh, we're looking and, and uh, it's coming up it's nearly time to display their room and uh, the, the judges and a few people are looking in the room they're going the wall the, the roof a ceiling it's out of whack your builders have made it all wonky now this is not right and there's panic then isn't it because it's nearly time to room reveal and he's got no time to fix it and there's this big drama and Kim says it oh that's set up that wouldn't happen, Yeah, you know, that's not real, they just want the drama, to which I'm shattered that she would even think of such a thing. It's not reality, what is going on? And it troubled me, it's like, of course, you know, why isn't this? You, you can believe it, we're looking into the lives of some other people and how they, they deal with particular issues and stresses, and I did a bit of looking around uh, on the internet, you know, how real is reality TV? Uh, and apparently there's something like 200 hours of recorded vision edited down to some 45 minutes of TV program, an hour with the ads. Uh, 200 hours. So what's going to get edited? What's going to get kept? And, you know, what are they going to portray? I thought, man, this is, is maybe it's not all as it seems figure that but what would happen if we had a reality tv show for ourselves you know you might have heard the kardashians but if somebody followed you around or a number of cameras and said yeah let's let's look at your life what bits would they just go edit or what bits would they really focus on you know what bits of your week would they use as the promo you know that that 15 20 second snippet of what is going on here in this life for everybody to see See, sometimes we can't hide what's going on, but actually everybody finds out. Now, when we get to this uh, part of Samuel, we're still in the early days, we're showing a little bit behind the scenes of what's going on at this town called Shiloh. Um, And we're allowed to go behind the scenes of the temple, because at Shiloh, this is... This is before the days of Jerusalem, before the days of King David and the big temple. This is the days where Israel, they're God's people, they've moved into the promised land. Uh, They've had the tabernacle, it's God's dwelling place, uh, moved in and they've placed it in the town called Shiloh. That's the holy centre for all Israel at that time. Uh, the, The ark is there, which is, we'll hear more about that next week, but it's God's presence is there with them. And Shiloh's like represents the religious, how religious they are, religious in a positive sense. This is how they draw near to God. So there's the makeshift temple is there, uh, the, the religious priests are there, it's where they come, they do their sacrifices there. It's a place where they have festivals, all Israel gather to have their festivals. And just to draw near to God at that place, there's lots of good things going on. If you want to get drawn near to God, you go to this place, Shiloh. And it sounds like a place when you hear all the things that are going on there. It's like this, you know, spiritual oasis in a desert. You can go there to draw near to God with all, um, it's all there the priests, the sacrifice, the ark. It's all there for you to go to. But what kind of people would you expect to be hanging around Shiloh at the temple? You know, if the reality TV cameras walked in, what people are you expecting to find? Because it all looks very good, you know, it all looks very religious, very positive in the people drawing near to God. But when you actually get behind the scenes, what are the people going to be like? What's the chance that they might be people just like us that actually, on the surface, they do look all right. They've got it all together, and you know, they've got no problems in life. Their Christian walk is going well. But dig beneath the surface, go behind the scenes, get that little promo clip, and we actually find they're wrestling with a lot of the issues we're wrestling with. They're treating God the same way we're treating God now. Actually, you might find out that what's going on there, this is about 3,000 years ago, 1,000 BC, is actually very similar to what's going on today and the way God treats them and speaks to them in that day is very relevant for us then because we're going through the same sort of stuff and it's how the people respond how they listen to God well we'll find out how they uh, do good and bad and find out how are we listening to God and treating God so there's different kinds of listening to God and we find out there's this main couple couple of ways it's those who don't listen and here we meet the story of eli the priest and his two sons and right from the get-go this is kind of the promo the promo clip right at the start to get you to see what is going on here The, the writer is saying we don't know exactly who wrote this but as he's writing he's going check this out you need to read this these guys the eli's sons the two priests they are scoundrels they have no regard for the lord says in verse 12 in fact, had no regard for the Lord is a helpful translation, where it literally says they did not know the Lord. Did not know the Lord's kind of a funny thing to say. Uh, it's like, what? They're priests. Surely they know of God. Yeah, they might know of God, but they didn't know Him like a friend, like a personal thing. They didn't know God. They were far from God. And it goes on then to explain, let me give you an episode of the life in Shiloh at the temple. So normally what would happen is people would come, there's a special time of year, all the Israelites come to the temple to kind of make reconciliation with God, so to draw near to God. So they get their sacrifice, which is, depending on how wealthy you are, depends what animal you bring, but the more wealthier ones would bring like a lamb, or a goat, or even a bull, and bring it in, and the priest at the temple would uh, make you... part of their process is you confess your sins over the animal, because confessing your sins, saying, look, I've, I've stuffed up, I've made mistakes, and for that there's a penalty, and that animal is going to be sacrificed, it's going to have its throat cut, and it's taking the penalty, so you know the weight of your sin has to be taken care of. So the the animal gets a throat cut and then it gets cut up by the priest. It's cut up into different bits and what they do is there's a scrappy blood and guts bits that just gets thrown away. There's the choice bits of an animal with the the nice fatty bit, you know, the rib fillets with the nice uh, fat sort of running through it, the real tasty bits. They weren't overly worried about cholesterol in those days and things like that but the choice bits they would take and go, no, we're going to burn them over hot coals because for them nothing smells better over a barbecue than that you know sizzling meat over a barbecue and that pleases God so God is pleased with the sacrifice just with the aroma of the fat you know just slowly burning away so the choice bits go to God the few other bits uh, a leg and a a bit of the upper body uh, gets given to the priest because the priests need uh, you know whoever's in the temple needs food to live as well so he gets a cut and then what's left over they give back to the people for the festival so they go and they go the barbecue it they can cook it um you know turned into a slow cooked meal uh for the, to feed the family because that's why they're there at Shiloh to have the festival but what is happening here There's a breakdown in the process. First of all, uh, the people come in with their sacrifice. It talks about all Israel coming together. And the priests... Well, actually, we don't actually hear what the priests do. Eli's two sons, they're not even there. It's their job to be there to do that. They're not there. They send their servants down to do all this sort of stuff. And these servants are the heavy-handed, they're bullies. And they got disregard for, for the whole process. Of honouring God, disregard for people as well. They'd be sitting up in their rooms and smell the meat cooking, you know, nice uh, curry or something like that uh, from the people who, who are cooking their food in their pots. Yeah, that smells all right, I wouldn't mind a bit of that. And they'd just go down with their three-pronged fron- forks so get the most meat out. And they'd look at a nice meal tonight family and they'd just pull out their meat, uh, pull out their plate, drop it on their plate and go, have a good night, and they just help their self, taking the food right out from the family. But even more so, he says, they even go down before the family's even had their share. So even before the meat, uh, when the meat's cut up, this bit's for God, this bit's for the priest, this bit's for the family, uh, that bit that goes onto the barbecue to burn up the fat that's so pleasing to God, they go, actually, I want that bit. I want that, and no, they say it heavy-handedly, give me the fatty bit, that's the bit we want, I want you to cook, I don't, had curry last night, I want something better, the, the barbecue tonight, have a bit of variety and I want the nice fatty bit for me. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever, if you're a big meat lover like that, but I've, I know what this is like when somebody who's so obsessed with meat uh, just stands over you like that. I remember church barbecue once, doing the barbecue and then I felt something coming up behind me and then I realised it was Kieran and Kieran usually looks after the meat for church barbecues by the way and I think he was afraid that I was sacrificing it on the barbecue Uh, but he comes up behind me and I go you don't have to say anything you just give him the tongs and you step away you know Kieran's there. You know, just as soon as I mentioned barbecue, we've got Will, who was up here, loves his Brazilian barbecue. And as soon as I mentioned that, he starts breaking out in a sweat. You know, he's thinking about these barbecues, this meat. So these guys are going to be thinking about that for the rest of the morning. But this is what they're like. The, the big boys, you know, Eli's two sons have got their big bouncers. They love their meat. And they're coming down and going, no, what you got cooking there? No, I'll have that bit, mate. Sorry, I couldn't do a Kieran accent, but it's that sort of, you know, intimidate... Don't stand in the way between me and my meat. And if you say anything, hang on a minute, that, that, that's God's share. What if we just even let me burn the, the fat off at first, so at least God gets a sense of my sacrifice and what I'm doing here. No, my meat. I'm going to have it, thank you very much. And it gets taken from you. Total disregard. Total disregard for the process, what is going on with the sacrifice, uh, and they just push it away. But it's worse than that, could you believe? In the place of Israel, the most religious place, the priests who meant to have it together, hiding behind their religion, just feeding themselves, just gluttony, just more food and more food. But then we meet, a little bit further down, Eli, which is, he has a talk to his sons, Eli's the the main priest, because it's more than just food and extortion uh, about that, but Eli's heard some rumours that have been going around all of Israel. He says, hang on boys, I've heard that you're sleeping with the women in the temple, you know, like the temple secretary. He says, actually all Israel know about it and they've reported back to me. It's almost like Eli's the last person to hear what his sons are up to. They're not only helping themselves to the food, but any of the women at the temple are, are theirs as well. These guys are married men, as we'll find out next chapter, but they're having these affairs with the women. Now again, these are the religious guys. (laughs) You imagine the cameras going behind the scenes, we're going to step behind, you know, this church and find the priests doing all this stuff, sitting around with their heavies, extorting people for their food, uh, helping themselves, to the women. Israel is in trouble, like On the surface, they're a very religious nation. They've they've got the temple. They've got the religious priests. They've got everything happening. But behind the scenes, it's a bit of a joke. A bit of a joke. And you can imagine what was going on. See, last chapter, if you're here last week, we looked at Hannah's song. So Hannah was this woman, uh, cried out for God for a child. She knew God could answer a prayer. She trusted God. God gave her a child. And true to her promise that she was going to give back her son Samuel to the temple, to serve in the temple as a young priest, uh, she's given him back and she had this song. And you can imagine how it played out. I'm not exactly sure how they do this, but I can imagine this could be uh, what what was heard by everybody. So in chapter 2, this is last week's passage that we heard, uh, when she says, in the temple, when she's giving back her her son Samuel, but not sadly. She's rejoicing to God because she had the privilege of having this son and able to give back. She says, "'My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high, my strength is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like God. Do not keep talking so proudly or letting your mouth speak such arrogance.' For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. she 's giving this. This is my testimony to, to the Israelites who are standing around the temple. eli 's sons were probably there. You can imagine them sitting up the back, just their arms crossed. listen to this woman, yeah, just mocking her, as she 's going on about this God. What a story. Yeah, yeah, cry my eyes out. This is But she goes on in verse five. Those who are full hire, themsel- hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. <laughs> Listen, we've got as much food as we ever want. You know, we've, we're the ones that are prospering here. We've got as much as if God, as if God would take away our food and we'd have to start working just to feed our stomachs. We've got it going on good here. This is not. Their idea of God is so different to her idea of God. And they laugh at her, mock at her, going, you know, God's not stopping us. Are we going to have lunch this afternoon or today? I don't know, it smells pretty good. Let's go out and find a pot of nice food to take. And it does raise a question. What is going on at the temple in Shiloh? If these are the the, the priests, the good guys, why isn't God stopping them? Why isn't God saying no? It raises the question, well, if God didn't like me doing it, He would have stopped me before this, wouldn't He? Everybody, All Israel can see the corruption. They're all asking the correct question, what is going on? And they're just mocking God, not listening. You know, even as, um, as they're hearing the, the messages that this is wrong, they're not listening at all. But actually we should ask a question of ourselves, how do you know what's wrong and right? How do you know what's acceptable by God? You know, if I cheat somebody or I treat them badly, even take advantage of them, nobody's stopping me. It must be all right. God's not stopping me. must be okay. You know, the whole sex outside of marriage thing, what these guys are doing. Well, you know, what, what if everybody else is doing it and I give it a go and... Well, if God didn't like it, he'd stop me, right? He's not stopping. I can still do it. God must be okay with it. It raises a whole lot of questions. What is God doing? Is he so not pleased? Or is he God... He's God <clears throat> maybe is God just tamer than we thought. You know, that his bark is worse than his bite. That we've actually got him in a box and he's not going to interfere with us and our lives. How do we treat God? How do we know what's right and wrong? And where is God in those situations for them, but even for us? I think we all like to push the boundary. So, is God doing something? And are these guys even listening, even if God is? So, we're given these little snippets uh, in verse 12. We're told that they did not know the Lord. And as, as I said before, it's not that they're ignorant of God. They, they kind of know there is a God. They've looked at their father. They're working in the temple. But they don't know this God. They don't know him personally. They haven't drawn near to him. So they're definitely not listening to him. Uh, down in verse 17, we're told that God knows them. He sees everything that they're doing. Uh, this is a little summary by the editor, this, uh, so verse 17, the sin of the young man was very great in the Lord's sight. It's not as if God's ignorant of what's going on. He is seeing them. For they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Then in verse 25, when Eli goes to confront the men, the dad says to them, uh, talks to them about uh, what their problem is. And it, we're told their response they didn't listen. So they're hearing it all over. God's, God's there. They're not going to listen to God. They don't know God. They know all Israel knows. They're not going to listen to the Israel the gossip. Who are they to know anyway? And now the old man, the dad's come on board. I'm not listening to you, old man. Because we like living life our own way. They like going on. They're not going to listen to anybody. Because they, they just want to do their own thing. Now I kind of... I kind of get aggravated when people, if people do the wrong thing and they're kind of ignorant, that, that's kind of one thing, you try and help them to understand the situation. But if people are ignorant and they're not listening, not listening to the facts, you kind of go, you know, it's obvious. Uh, some of this stuff really echoes with what's been going on in the media with the... Uh, uh, the royal commission into like churches about the child abuse and there was one priest this week who uh, was found guilty on keeping secrets he was a, um, a bishop I think um, and he knew of this abuse that was going on in churches and he didn't tell anybody in fact he didn't sack the priest who was doing the wrong thing he just moved him around and enabled him to keep abusing children uh, this has caught up with him he's an old man now this happened years ago uh, he was found guilty of not doing anything to protect the children about that, and got uh, sentenced six months home detention. And you can see as he came out of the courtroom this week on the on the newspaper, all the victims of this abuse shouting out, angry. And this man got only six months home detention. How bad could that be? But then uh, the lawyers turned around and said he's going to appeal the sentence because he's too harsh. And it's like, are you listening? Are you listening to what's going on? Not only, this is the law courts, it's people, everybody's saying, this is wrong, you've done wrong. It's going, no, 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 it's not that bad, really. But that's how I feel. As a sinner, looking at another sinner, what is God thinking? A holy God, a holy God that does everything perfect, everything righteous, everything loving, and He sees His people, whether it's in the temple or us living in our lives stuffing him around, going, it's all right, God, I've got this under control, I'm happy with my life over here, I'm doing my thing, and you're not listening to him. How frustrating must God be? So much more than I get frustrated uh, when I see stories like that. But see, when God speaks into this problem with the two sons, there's something bigger going on than just the two sons. See, God sends a messenger to Eli, the dad, uh, and goes on for a bit of uh, for a bit but a summary is in verse 29 where God points the finger this is the word of God to Eli why do you scorn my sacrifice and offer that I su- that, uh, sorry why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Eli's not innocent either. Actually, he's sitting around at the dinner table. Surely he knows where the steak is coming from. We're actually told a couple of things about Eli. We don't know a lot about him, but we hear he sits around a lot. Uh, In the last chapter, when Hannah goes to the temple to pray, uh, what's Eli doing? He's sitting at the front of the temple. Uh, Next chapter, we're going to see what happens, how this story unfolds. What's Eli doing? He's sitting, waiting for news. He's actually, we're told, that he's so overweight uh, sitting in his chair that he actually falls off his chair and because of his weight breaks his neck. So, you know, there's hints there that this guy's lived off the gluttony of this food that's come in. He knew about it and was enjoying it. And God's now pointing the finger at him. And he goes on in verse 30. He talks that you know, taking down the proud and the arrogant, explaining how his sons must die. The the priesthood will end. There will be judgment on this. God is not sitting back. In fact, God is speaking into the situation and he is going to rule on it. He's going to bring down the proud, just as Hannah sung that song, bring down the proud and lift up the humble. And Eli himself was playing the game. I'm the religious guy. I wouldn't do anything wrong. God says, no, I know the games you're playing in your heart. So they weren't listening. They are arrogant, didn't want to listen. But what about um, other ways? There's other ways we we try and fool God or trick God. I remember, uh, so Kim and I used to run a youth group years ago, and a part of the youth group activities, you want different activities, we used to play this game called Two Truths and a Lie, I think. Lots of people play that sort of game. You say something about yourself, we want three things. Two things have got to be the truth, but one thing's got to be a lie, and other people have got to try and pick the lie. It's a very clever game. You actually learn a lot about other people, uh, about their history, but also how good of liars they are. And we actually had to stop the game because the parents are saying their kids turn into really good liars. That's what we're training them to do. But we actually like that game. We play it with those people all around us. Yeah, I want you to see this about me. You know, there's some truth there, but there's some stretching the truth over here as well. But I want you just, I'm just going to show you what I want. But behind the scenes, there's a lot more going on, and God knows. God knows. God sees. God knows us, even if we don't know him. And God speaks into that. But are we listening? Do we know the Lord? Do we know him? Not just know about God. So we just come here. We, we can hide behind religion as well. just as good as anybody else. We hide behind our religion. I'm a good person. I'm going to show you what I want you to see. But deep down, we're playing the game. Playing the game with God. Playing the game with others. You can fool some people some of the time. But not all people all the time. God knows. God knows. But are we listening then? Will we listen to God as he speaks? When we draw near to him, really know him, so we really hear him. There's another problem with listening in this story as well. Uh, We see the ratbag priest not listening to God, rejecting him. But there's this other character we're going to meet uh, who has a listening problem as well. And he doesn't know how to listen to God. This is where we meet the young boy, Samuel. And when we hear Samuel in this story, we go, great, we need a hero. Because there's so many bad people in this story. We need a hero. What is Samuel going to do? Because surely he's going to be the good guy. We're given a bit of a story about him growing up around the temple. I'll give you a quick flyover. So in verse 18, this is, this is just after we heard about Eli's sons stealing the meat from the sacrifice. And in verse 18. We're told Samuel was while well, the sons are stealing the sacrifice. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Ephod uh, that's like what the priests wear. So he was actually playing, playing priest as a boy while the others were corrupt. The boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. He's close to God in contrast to the other sons. Verse 26. This is after it come out that the two sons were sleeping around with the women. But we have Samuel. Uh, the boy Samuel continued to grow up in stature and in favor with the Lord and the people. <laughs> Sounds like we've got a hero coming up. So, after we're told about the judgment on Eli's sons, that God's going to wipe them out, we're told in chapter 3, verse 1 the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare and there were not many visions. So, we get this journey. Eli's, uh, the, Samuel is growing up in the temple, he's near God. So when we get to chapter 3 verse 2, it's no surprise that we hear one night Samuel is asleep. He serves in the temple, he's like a junior priest, but he's asleep nearest to God himself. He's in the room where the ark is, God's presence is, so he's in the temple, that's where he sleeps at night. But we're expecting something that good, that perfect, you know, this guy's going to make everything right. But then... You get behind the scenes in Samuel's life, and it teaches us another lesson about listening. So we get to verse 2, and we get this uh, episode. He's sleeping in the temple, uh, he's near the ark, and God speaks to Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. And he thinks, Well, it must be Eli, the main priest, he's in a different part of the, the building. So he runs in, You know, Eli, what do you want? He's like, I didn't say anything. So, you know, go back and sleep. You know, it's not me. He must be, you know. Might have been the curry from last night. Yeah. You go back and listen. It's all okay. So he goes back to listen. Now, you kind of wonder, that's a bit of a bizarre scene just by itself. And you kind of go, Samuel's probably thinking, what's wrong with Eli? Eli must be talking in his sleep. It must have been Eli. Uh, but Eli's thinking, gee, Samuel's a bit restless tonight. He's having a bad night. Because then we get to verse 6, and it happens again. Uh, the voice, Samuel, Samuel... Samuel jumps up, runs to Eli, look it's not me, it's not me, you guys. And this is where it starts to get a bit comical and I do believe the writer of Samuel has got a sense of humour and he's going, you know, you've got to hear this story. You know, every good uh, reality TV show has a lighter moment, a bit of a sense of humour. He's going, what is Samuel really thinking? And he gets a bit of an interpretation, a bit of understanding in verse 7. Like, Even though Samuel has been at the temple, he's been serving there, he seems to have a good humble heart towards God, a genuine heart in contrast to the other sons. But then it says something really interesting in verse 7, that he does not yet know the Lord. It's very close to what it says about the other sons, the bad sons, that they did not know the Lord. And I said not knowing about God, but really knowing God. But here it says Samuel, well he's in the temple, he knows about God, he knows the ark, he knows how it all works, he's wearing an ephod. But he doesn't yet know God personally, relationally. So there's a bit of extra information we're given here uh, about where he's at in understanding God. So then we get to the third episode. Uh, The voice comes, Samuel, Samuel, and gets up, goes to Eli again. You know, here I am. What do you want? I'm sure you're talking in your sleep, old man. And he's going, no, I'm sure you're, you know, you're dreaming or something. Uh, He goes, hang on a minute. Maybe it's the Lord. Maybe it's God speaking to you. Maybe you're not listening properly. You need to listen properly if you're going to hear the Lord speak. So he says, you know, say, if you hear the voice again, Lord, it's me, your servant. Now, I'm not the arrogant guy who's not going to listen, I'm your servant that's humbly going to come before you and listen carefully. And fourth time around, it happens again, Samuel, Samuel and Samuel then calls to God, I'm your servant and then he listens to the Lord and listens to his message And it goes on to explain, this is a message, again, reaffirming that judgment that's going to come on Eli and his two sons. Look, I'm going to make a change here. I'm going to destroy what's going on and I'm going to build it up. Now, what's going on in this story? It's a bit of a bizarre story. We often do it in kids' churches, a bit of a laugh. But how does this fit in with what's going on? I think I like it because it's a bit of a reality check that even for Samuel, uh, he's only human as well. He's not this super spiritual hero, uh, but he's actually got hearing problems as well. He's like us as well but it also shows that God is not sitting back God is in control so he's going to go on at the end of that that part to show how God is going to take down the proud and lift up the humble the sons will die the wicked sons Samuel because he's humble because he's trusting God he will be lifted up Says so things like God's going to make every word from his mouth not fall to the ground people are going to listen to him it's going to be God's instrument God is in control often it looks like God is not even in our lives God is in control he's watching and he's speaking into the situation but also it does raise a question about how we listen to God <clears throat> how do you listen to God how does he speak into your life you know I feel like I haven't grown at all spiritually. God's not speaking at all. I'm just you know, backsliding in my faith. Is actually God not speaking? Or is it actually maybe a problem is with us that we don't know the Lord like we should. We're not drawing near to him. Or even for somebody like Samuel, he hasn't got any bad motives, but he's got a hearing problem as well. He's there, but again, he doesn't know the Lord like he will do. But drawing near to him, saying, I'm your servant, you know, speak to me. And then he hears, he hears clearly what is going on. See, in practical ways, how do we listen to to God speaking to us, into our lives? What is wrong, what is right? Is God going to send a lightning bolt down or is he he speaking to me in different ways, other ways? You know, God's Word, we have God's Word in the Bible. It is God's Word for us. What you read in the Bible is God's message for you. That whether you're listening to sermons or going to growth group and studying the Bible is also a way of hearing it, not that the preacher or the people at growth group are you know super spiritual or they're prophets speaking into your life, but they're pointing you back to the Word as well. Not a word will fall to the ground of God's Word. Are we listening to God through His Word? Uh, God speaks to us through different events and challenges in our lives, different people who say to things, God, What are you you doing here in this set of circumstances? What are you teaching me about this? How do you listen to God? See, if you're far from God, whether you think you don't need Him and you're not listening or you're just not near God, it's very hard to to hear Him clearly. But in both these situations, saying, draw near to God, listen to God, and He will speak into your life because God sees, God knows you. He knows if you're playing the game. But he's calling you out on it. To Say, look, you can trust me. You can trust the people around you. He's the God of grace. You can come to him. God does this amazing thing. We're looking at this in the Old Testament going, you know, where is God? Where's the action at the temple? But God does this amazing thing in sending us his son, Jesus. He says, I am going to speak into your life. I'm going to come into this world in person where he sends Jesus. Well, we really know what God is like. It, it helps us to see it in human form that this is what God is like. We've got uh, je- stories about Jesus. Jesus teaching in, in the Bible as well that we can read. Jesus sends us his spirit after he leaves. So his spirit's in our hearts just helping us to understand. God speaks all the time. But are we listening? <clears throat> are we listening? Do we know how to listen? I know this is the challenge for all of us this week. If you're not in a, in a routine of... Uh, drawing near to God but this week uh, maybe even make a list or just think of a few things that might be helpful to um, get guidance from for God and draw near to him make time every day it can only only has to be five minutes if, if you're just trying to fit it in somewhere but hopefully longer but read a bit of the bit of his word read a few verses meditate on it think about it and then pray to him about it. So if we just pray, that's us speaking to God, but are we listening when we pray? We want him to answer. So pull open his word. Say, God, I've got this going on in my life. Pray about it for a week, till next Sunday, every day. We're going to do this. We're going to draw near to God. And I'm going to make sure I listen. Make sure I listen through his word. I'm going to invite him into my life. I'm going to draw near to him. So he knows me, so I know him. And that he might uh, help me through this. So we can live for him how are you listening? Let me pray and we'll pray that God helps us on this journey. Dear Father, we do thank you for your great love for us, that you don't leave us alone when we make a mess of things but you reach out for us and we see that in Jesus, that you reached out to us with your own son to explain clearly who you are and what you're like. Lord, we just thank you for that we're sorry that often we get so caught up in life we ignore you and push you to the side. But Lord, help us to listen, not just this week, but forever, Lord, that we listen to you. And We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.